Latinx Hispanic Heritage Month celebration here at Middle. I want to affirm the contributions of the Latinx community in the United States, un pueblo that have arrived in this country not to be a charity, but will to continue to build this country and to contribute to this nation. And this morning, I want to talk a little bit about economic dislocation. In the scripture lesson this morning, the prophet Jeremiah is speaking to a people who have been in exile. And it is interesting to note that the people of Jerusalem was placed, were, was placed in exile in Babylon in waves. The first group, Jeremiah tells us, included not only the king, but the leaders of society, including priests and prophets, the skilled workers, and all those who were sorely needed at home and had different and particular professions. In other words, those who could be of use to the empire. And historians tell us that he, 10 years later, in, in, 508, in the year 587, Babylon would return to devastate Jerusalem and carry off even more of the population. And then a third group would be taken in 581. And then all the people would be, what was left was not enough to have, to inhabit their place. Y ese pueblo, to a, to a people in exile, Jeremiah encourages to make a home away from home, to create a new normal far away from what they know. And from a certain position, from a certain vantage point, this may look, some of the conditions and elements look favorable. Scholarship tells us that they were, they were allowed to keep their families, their communities, their public gatherings, and their worship services. Although they were not allowed to erect a temple. They did not have a temple. Therefore, they had to be creative and flexible in their religious practices. But could they really be allowed to be the same? as many, many suggest. When one is forced to leave home, regardless of the reason, there are deep consequences. There are deep elements that disrupt a people when that happens. And consequences that often cannot be captured unless you have gone through it. It is Bishop Oscar Romero that said that there are things that can only be seen through the eyes that have cried. And lately, it seems, at least to me, that the Latinx community in this country is associated with immigration status, immigration, problems, as if the Latinx people were the only ones migrating to the U.S. seeking asylum. And as it relates to Puerto Rico, I want to make sure that you know, and that America knows, because there are so many watching this, 
that Puerto Ricans are citizens of the United States, but that doesn't negate the migration, doesn't negate that the migration to the mainland is difficult, that it has displacement issues, that we suffer from economic dislocation as well, and that is all real. Prior to Hurricane Maria, around 300,000 Puerto Ricans had left the island to come to the mainland in a time span of about seven to 10 years. And this migration was composed of doctors and lawyers and teachers and engineers and other professionals. And the economy had collapsed with a debt that was benefited, that benefited immensely and unapologetically Wall Street. And Puerto Ricans found themselves in this migration space. And calls for an independent audit have fallen in depth years. And after Hurricane Maria, around 200 Puerto, Rico, 200 Puerto Ricans approximately have left the island. And just a month ago, we commemorated two years after the hurricane. And to us, in the diaspora, that day feels like 100 lashes from the master on our backs. To Puerto Ricans on the island, even worse. It is a reminder that a tragedy happened to our people. And because we are under the rule of an empire, their lives were expendable. Approximately 4,465 lives perished and were not counted. And in this country, there are so many memorials we can go and visit. We can go and run our fingers through the names of those that have perished after terrorist attacks and after tragedies and after wars. But the Puerto Rican people cannot run their fingers through the names of those that died after Hurricane Maria because their names were not recorded. And so, we, I feel, que nadie nos llora, that nobody cries for us. And so this year, in the void of that pain, Jorge Fontanes and, and myself, Jorge from Middle, and I walked into Senator Bruca's office, presidential candidate, and met with his staff and asked them to give us, to produce, to show us their policy for Puerto Rico. We were part of a national action where Puerto Ricans went to each of the offices of our presidential candidates. And just before I walked into the sanctuary, somebody said, hey, so what happened? You know, did Senator Booker give you his policy? And I said, he didn't have one. And some do not still have one. Just before a month, just a month before the 20th of September, or two months before, the people of Puerto Rico had taken their destiny in their own hands. And I was in Puerto Rico when the FBI arrested six officials 
from then-Governor Ricardo Rosselló's government on corruption charges. It was the beginning of a storm. The arrests were followed by the leak of an 889-page chat, which shook the island to its core. And for 12 days, 12 días, roughly 1 million people, about 30% of the population, took to the streets to demand Rosselló's resignation. A third of the population proclaimed, Somos más y no tenemos miedo. We are more and we are not afraid. This cry of Somos más was more than a protest against Rosselló and his party. It was the convergence of un pueblo, the convergence of a people who stood against injustice, united by the conviction that there was inherent value in their lives, even if no one thought there was. This transcendent political, this transcendent political party Religion, economic background, education, sexual orientation, and gender expression, it brought together the children of God under the banner of Somos Mas, a new movement was born, one that sought to bring the world to the world a new Puerto Rico. Dr. King reminds us that oppressed people cannot remain oppressed forever. The yearning for freedom eventually manifests itself. Somos Mas was a call for liberation that acknowledges the power of the oppressed and puts the oppressor on notice. And I just want to say that I was watching this here in New York. Four nights I didn't sleep. Four nights there were people try, trying to just capture and gain the resignation of Rosselló. But they had been on the street for 12 days, from morning to night. And here in the United States, our ethics of protest are different, right? We, we protest from 9 to 12, we go to brunch. We reconvene again the next day, we do it from 12 to 4, we go to dinner. <laughs> but to be in the struggle for 12 days, 12 nights, one million people on the street, young people, old people, all kinds of people, that was a disruption to what we understand as protest. It was a powerful call for liberation. One that was not led by the regular suspects. And also, it didn't negate the evil that existed within. The people of Puerto Rico forced the resignation of the governor they elected because they would no longer put up with corruption and oppression. And then they put the oppressor on notice and the church because they did not acknowledge the religious right and they took the microphone and led a protest with the Puerto Rican flag and the rainbow flag all the way to the Fortaleza. <laughs> Dismantling the systems of hate and disenfranchisement. 
They did not submit to the narrative of, we are just part of the best country in the world. They said, our government is not working, therefore it needs to be changed. And so many people, you know, when you are in New York and you are comfortable and you're looking at Puerto Rico and you're saying, I just thought that the Puerto Rican people needed to go to the process of just taking the, government, the governor out. And the people of Puerto Rico were like, listen, y'all, let me break it down to you. You're not here, right? Because we get so comfortable and we're saying, you know, the people of Puerto Rico said, you know, the process is not working for us. Therefore, the people demand. And I want to say to you this morning, what about us? Can we change our ethics of protest? Can we take our future in our hands? Can we, can we look at what's happening to us and be so appalled and indignant that we do not allow it to happen any longer? Can we say we have elected a government that has failed us and therefore the government needs to be changed because we the people say somos más y no tenemos miedo. We are more and we are not afraid. And that means we are more than a corrupt government. We are more than a collapsed economy. We are more than an immigration status. We are more than being defined in the little boxes of being straight or gay or Latino or Latinx or non-conforming. No, 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 we are more. We are God's children saying, we need a just government that can lead us with moral authority. Somos más. We care about the poor. We care about the homeless. Do we care about Wall Street more than the poor and the homeless? And if that is so, we, have need, we need a reset in this country. <laughs> We're going to do protests that is not followed with brunch, <laughs> but it's followed by strategy. You can eat in between, but don't stay in the restaurant. Go back out. <laughs> The people of Puerto Rico believed that they were more. And they looked at their government and said, we are more in numbers, we are more in character, we are more in values, we matter more, therefore, we are not afraid. And the question for us this morning, church, is what about us? Where are we? Do, how can we believe in our hearts and in our spirits and in our body that we are more? And in that belief, can we say, we are not afraid. Change is going to come. Amen. Amen.